Hey, Scott. Hey, man, how's it going? Good, man. What are you upset about today? I'm not upset about anything. I'm feeling great. Oh, cool, man. Feeling How amazing. The, the markets look good? Uh, market, market feels boring. Maybe that's a good thing. Let me send out the invites. Yeah. And uh, by the way, I'm really happy to hear how much you loved yesterday's space. I did. I enjoyed it. You're being sarcastic, yeah? No, I actually enjoyed it. I really? really? Did. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I enjoy all the spaces. I, there's topics I like and topics I don't, but I just, you know, I, I'm hesitant sometimes. I don't know how they're going to end up, and I hate to platform certain ideas. <laughs> so, I think it was great. Actually made made me much more bullish on NFTs. Yeah, no, the, I know. I loved your take. It's like everyone had everyone uh, looked at NFTs as a bloodbath, and that made you uh, that made you bullish. Yeah, it's not only that. Like, and I'm not criticizing anyone. We've all been there, but all these guys with literal like board ape. PFPs and other PFPs, and they're all telling you it's dead and it's stupid. That's perfect. So that's what a bloodbath looks like. Yeah, I mean, that, if that's the sign of capitulation, and we've 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 all certainly been there. It's like when when you're the most passionate person in the room about that thing, and you've been defending it, and then you just come in and say, "Yeah, we were all wrong." I'm a buyer. Yeah. By the way, I want to give a shout out. I see Rishab in the audience uh, from TD5. My friends there. You know Gorav Scott. Yeah. Where is he? He's here. No, his uh, his uh, right hand man is here. His name is Rishab. Oh, that's because oh. you and Gorov right now are like icing your bodies while eating, <laughs> yeah. your, eating your brains and no, no, yeah. some kind of some kind of spiritual yoga retreat somewhere in the mountains or what? What is it? Oh, the the spiritual man. I messed up that. They, so they invited me to go there and and do some spiritual retreat. My team loved it. So I had two of my colleagues there and they loved it. Uh, but I was so bad because I had to run the show. And I was so I would rock up to the to the meditation sessions uh, an hour late, and everyone gets kicked out. All my team gets kicked out because I was so late. And the the sh the main guy, the the teacher, uh, the, the the master, I think they call him, was like pissed off at me for being so late. I was like terrible for that retreat. I, I'm sure I'm not going to be invited again, even though they said you are. I am. Mario, I, I, need, to, I need I need to chat to you about something, right? Um. Your assistant tells me that you're spending about three to four hours a day biohacking. Is it? Have I got the numbers right yet? Uh, yeah, about four, uh, four. Yeah, about four hours a day. Okay, so four hours a day biohacking. How long? How much longer do you expect to live? Well, my goal is to delay it as much as possible until we get to a stage where you could actually, um, you know, perpetually delay it. You can stop aging. And there's a guy that's already getting there. There's a guy, uh, Brian Johnson. He's so many steps ahead of me, it pisses me off. That's the guy with, with 30 doctors. That guy that's with 30 Yeah, doctors. the guy with 30 doctors who's monitoring his erections. Exactly, this literally. guy. Uh, that guy pisses me off how far ahead he is. But hold on. He, 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 he apparently is having heart problems because he took the mRNA Moderna vaccine. Is that right? Mm, I didn't, didn't look into it too much. But... Okay. I, I'm just wondering because if you're spending four hours a day, that's like 25% like of your waking day biohacking. I mean, you got to live for at least 40% longer, right? Yeah, no, but then, then again, I don't sit there doing biohacking and that's it. Like, I actually work while doing that. I, I review your shitty agenda and I prepare for the space and I talk to Scott and deal with his complaints. I do all that stuff while while biohacking. Even do the space. Sometimes I do the space, as you know, while I'm biohacking. So it's pretty Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, hold on. You also deal with Scott's complaints because I thought I was the only one dealing with Scott's complaints. Yeah. I've actually, it's factually true that 20 minutes of dealing with me a day uh, shortens your life by 25 years. So actually, Mario is just trying to counteract. I balance dealing. it out, yeah. So and it's working out well. I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy, but I know I'll get to a stage where I'll get depressed. But till then, I'm happy. So I think just. The... And I mean, I mean, when you start, when you made this partnership with Scott, did you anticipate that you would have to be dealing with a, a emotional? Um, What's the word? Uh, Premenstrual? You can't say it for a guy. Yes, a hundred percent. I knew it from day one. I already knew Scott is a very emotional man. I have to be very. You want to you want to set the bar exceptionally low so that you can impress people, guys. This is this is uh, this is partnership one on one. Yeah, no, but... just piss everybody off really fast, and then when you do better in the future, they'll. they'll and then when you get to know him, you we, we, we you. realize we he's like you, a little Scott. cuddly, cuddly you, teddy bear Scott. under that that thick, thick. Thick shell. Yeah. You know when you see last thing I'll say. You know when you, I don't know if you watch your shorts. Do you ever see those turtles in the in that floating in the ocean? They got all these different shells on them, and they they like very thick shells. And you have to scrape them off because they can barely swim because they've got all these like almost like scars. And there's people that just pick up those turtles, those sea turtles, and remove the shells. Am I the only one that watches those videos? 
Yes. Okay. yes. Well, then forget my example. It doesn't work at all if you haven't seen it. Um, Am I the turtle or the shell or the scraper? I just still need to know. You're that, you're that turtle that has so many shells because you've been through so much over the, over the last few years in crypto, probably prior to crypto as well. You're like, fuck this shit. I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to deal with scammers. If, if there's smoke, uh, there's definitely fire. And, uh, and, uh, mm. and, um, that's why I come here because you guys actually, uh, you know, I have strong opinions. All right, so let's let's talk. Let's, my opinion change quite. All right, let's get off the show. I want to thank our sponsor Hex to start off the show. Um, they've. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Scott, I let you. I let you kick off the show, man. I know today we're going to talk about uh, DeFi. I don't know who chose the title, but I know we're talking about the DeFi, uh, uh, the the Curve Saga, and what happened since. And whether we had a speaker come on stage and say, Mario, the, the final leg of this bloodbath will be led by DeFi. That will be the final capitulation. And made a pretty good argument. Was, um, I'm not good with names. I've got prosopognosis. Ben, ben Cowan. Ben. It was Ben Cowan in, into the cryptoverse. Yeah. And actually, it was, uh, he was sort of uh, piggybacking on something I said. I was just making the point. I was not saying that specifically. I was just making the point that you have to be hesitant about DeFi right now when a single loan by a single person could effectively systemically destroy the entire system and then or 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 set it back and then he jumped in and said maybe that's the reason that we will get what I'm already watching for with Bitcoin dominance and, and his cycle. Hmm. I actually had him on my I actually had him on my show today so How be, yeah, yeah actually how, how, how was it? How was the discussion? He's a really good speaker and I love I love listening to him. How was the show? So look He's one of the smartest guys I've ever met. Um, I love his content. Um, and I think he's, he's got very rational views. You know, like I wish I could be a little bit less emotional like he is. You know, like he's a very unemotional trader. He's very, 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 very smart. There's no bullshit. There's no noise. Um, yeah, I love people like that. He's kind of like the exact opposite of me. Like he doesn't get excited. He doesn't get, you know, he's, 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 a, he's very regimented in his approach. And I think he's, he's a fantastic. The show was really, really good. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe we should just recap the whole curve thing for people who haven't been, you know, listening. Um, and maybe just, maybe in two seconds, just recap w what actually happened, what the dangers are. It looks like it's a little bit behind us now. Like if I look at the price of curve, the price of curve is actually recovering, recovering very well, which tells me that all is good. But uh, Scott, maybe you want to just recap what actually happened. Yeah, obviously there was a curve hack, right, which was called a re-entrancy bug. We've already sort of discussed all of that, so we won't talk about what specifically happened. But there was a hack to the protocol. Uh, obviously, that caused people to sell off the actual CRV token. But the story that became the bigger story even than the hack, which is kind of crazy, is that the founder uh, effectively had this major loan that he had taken out well over collateralized with CR CRV. We've seen numbers up to about $100 million with, you know, 60 million left and then 40-something million left. Uh, and it was over collateralized with over $300 million worth of CRV token. And effectively, it got, you know, within eight or nine cents of his liquidation price because of the hack, sort of an unknown unknown. If that hadn't have happened, he probably was living comfy and there was no major issue. But if that had been liquidated, or still could, I mean, anything's possible, uh, it could have sent shockwaves through all of DeFi because all of these platforms are obviously tied very closely and because this guy had such a sizable loan and DeFi does not really have the TVL to support it necessarily that it could have caused major problems for DeFi. So he's been selling tens of millions of dollars worth of CRV tokens to the likes of Justin Sun, other institutions on handshake deals, basically saying these will be locked up for a while. You can't go ahead and sell them. Uh, and reducing, taking that liquidity to reduce the loan and solve the problem. But to me, this is a massive, just, guys, I love DeFi, but there's a massive red flag. Listen, and, and you know, there, it's a, it's a two-sided argument. You can support decentralization, of course, and all of the potential problems that come with it. But I think there's lessons to be learned here that should have been learned before. One is that loans uh, big enough to crash all of DeFi probably shouldn't be given. And two, that... Uh, coins like CRV or FTT, although they're not the same. Founder, massive amounts of founder coins in extremely illiquid tokens that are volatile are probably not pristine collateral. Does that summarize it? So you? yeah, it does. And and Rand, before you add on to it, can you guys explain as you as you add on to whatever Scott, if anything Scott missed, how did this become systemic? It, like, isn't that just the founder of Curve just taking on too much debt? 
How, why yes. is that becoming such a big issue? Or was a big issue? So, look, I mean, we probably should have picked up these issues a little bit earlier. But Curve is at the center point of DeFi. And the reason why Curve is at the center point of DeFi is because Curve allows for the quick trade of like assets. When I say like assets, like USDT and USDC, USDC and DAI. If you want to swap one stable coin for another stable coin, Curve does this through advanced technology. So it's quite, it's a center point for DeFi. Um, it is, if you remember when UST collapsed and Luna collapsed, it was, it happened. It was, they were allegedly attacked when they, when they moved funds from one curve pool to another curve pool. Because curve is the center point for the health of the stable coin pairs in crypto. Now, why is that important? Because we trade mainly against stable coins. So you trade BTC to USDT, BTC to USDC, all your derivatives to USDT or USDC. So the stablecoin component is really the hub. The stablecoin component in crypto actually is housed in Curve. Now, the oversight here from the community is seems like the founder owns 47% of the circulating supply Curve, which is, it sounds to me like a very high number, but that's a number that's been, that's been, been thrown around. Now, what he did was, and it's very clever what he did. It's actually, you know, most founders actually do it. They say, look, if you really believe in your protocol, you don't want to sell your tokens. But on the other hand, you want to spend some money because you, you've built an amazing protocol that people use. And so instead of selling your tokens in the market and paying tax, a capital gains tax on the profits, what you can do is you can stake your tokens and borrow against them. That way, you get to use the money, but you don't actually pay tax. So, I mean, that's the genius behind this whole thing. It's like, not only does, do, you, do you still remain invested in your own protocol versus selling because you want to buy a house, but you remain invested and um, you, you remain invested. You take a loan against your tokens as, and using your tokens as collateral, but you don't pay tax using the money. And that's really the genius here. And that's, and that's, and that's something, so just to kind of be clear for the audience, this is pretty common. Like this is not something unique for crypto. This happens in chat file. That's the time. literally what, I mean, that's literally how billionaires remain billionaires. Exactly. Uh, no question. Yeah. That, that is the playbook is take loans against your assets. Including your the owner, the owner assets. of this, the owner of this platform purchased Twitter by doing exactly that. Um, yeah. so, so, so Ryan, so, the, so the systemic yeah, risk, the, the systemic risk here is that, the problem is because he has so many loans um, and and you know how these loans work, you get to a price which is a liquidation price. And because it's DeFi, the protocol just then sells the tokens on the open market. So right now, because we have no liquidity in the market, the problem is that the loans on Aave, um, if they would have hit the liquidation price, the protocol would have just started selling the token, so to speak. And the result is that the value of the tokens would have gone down very, very, very quickly. And as a result, Aave protocol would have lost a lot of money because they wouldn't have been able to get the full value of their loan and they would have, they would have had to take a bad debt. Now, I'm using Aave as an example, but bear in mind that there were other platforms like Fraxland, which, was in, which were in exactly the same boat. So why is it systematic? Because A, we, we, we don't want Curve to fail. But in this case, I don't think Curve would have failed. But a lot of DeFi protocols would have taken losses and maybe some, maybe some of them would have taken losses slightly bigger than what they could sustain. Aave does have an insurance fund or a liquidation fund or whatever you want to call it, um, but, but still not a, not a great look for DeFi. If you ask me what I think the systematic risk or the, the problem, what caused the problem here is why does the founder have access to 47% of the circular supply of the tokens? That's, for me, that's the point where I'm looking at it and I'm going, you know what's going on here? Why does this founder forty-seven percent of the of the circulating supply of token doesn't make sense? Okay, and, and then but you didn't you didn't get into how that becomes systemic to the entire space. Like this is it might harm curve and and and, and cause a bunch of liquidations, but and DeFi bad, itself and and, and bad, bad debts. debts fair, fair, fair. I understand, but like this is the beauty of DeFi: the fact that this gets triggered automatically. Um, it, and that, that level of transparency that we're all able to see it on chain is something that doesn't exist yeah. in like in TradFi the issue happens that all this shit happens behind the scenes and no one knows about it, it keeps building up building up building up until you have yeah. something like 2008 but what you had here is that you, we all saw it unfold and we, it was all priced in relatively quickly um, so for me that kind of demonstrates the beauty of DeFi and, so and rather than, than, that, yeah. than a, I think, that's what, I, think that's, I think it's extremely bullish why do I think it's extremely bullish because I think DeFi needs to get attacked from multiple angles so we can block these. You know, every time we get attacked, 
we block the, the attack vector. So now the right. market's seen the market seen this attack, and we, we, we're going to know that either either the, the, the other protocols are going to change their um, their like they may put in systems and processes in, in in place where you can't stake more than X amount of the token circulating supply from just from a pure liquidity point of view. I don't know how they're going to patch this, but they're going to patch this. And that's going to make yeah. DeFi stronger. Yeah, I, I agree with all of that. But I, I think that you have to also look at both sides. And this is a guy who's well-connected, who's been able to bail himself out through OTC deals with very powerful and wealthy friends. And if it was not that case, this could have been much uglier. I mean, that that's all I'm saying. But I do agree with you that they will. Uh, this is a work in progress. I just think it would be scary to have tens of millions of dollars in DeFi right now as an individual or, or otherwise, if you know that these kind of things can happen and that somebody else's loan could effectively be systemic and affect yours. But moving on, I, I do want to move on from um, from this. We can even circle back, but we do have both James Seyfert and Eric Balkunis from uh, Bloomberg with us. Uh, and so since they're both here, I don't want to miss the opportunity to talk about everything that's happening right now in the ETF world i know mario it's very triggering when we talk about serious topics like this no the, but, the etf uh, one the etf one look i care about my bags as well so i want to i want to know okay, as good. much as i can about good. etfs uh, I mean, so. look scott you gotta, you gotta remember mario doesn't understand half the stuff so we, we have to go slowly bro what is what yeah. is what is etf like echo echo no, i have no good joke sorry go ahead yeah, I, I, I don't know. We, we can move on. But maybe uh, James or Eric, or I know you guys are like uh, Batman and Robin. I'm not saying which one is Batman or which, man is, which one is Robin, but maybe you guys can give us the broad strokes on what's happening in the ETF space right now, obviously on the backs of the BlackRock proposal, the rush in for Bitcoin spot ETFs, and, and what's happening on the ETH side and the odds, which you guys have raised to 65% of us seeing an approval. Yeah, so we've gotten 65 on spot Bitcoin, and we've actually gotten 75 on Ethereum futures. I think Eric, I'll, I'll let Eric comment after I'm done talking, but I think he's probably, he might even be a little bit higher than 75 on Ethereum proposals. Um, we're up to 12 filings that include Ethereum futures ETFs from seven different issuers. And um, the reason why we went up to 75% is, um, as many of you are probably aware, there's already a 2x Bitcoin futures ETF that was just launched by this company called Volatility Shares. They're the ones that started this uh, this spurt of ETH future filings. They filed for one on Friday. Um, and then all of a sudden on Tuesday, Wednesday, and yesterday, Thursday, we had another 11 filings come out from a bunch of different issuers. And there's multiple sources citing this. We've talked to people that have cited this. Basically, the SEC went to these issuers and said, all right, we're now going to be willing to review these applications, which sounds very passive, right? Like, all right, we're going to pretend like we're reviewing these applications, but these are the type of words they use. Like when Gary Gensler, the reason that Eric and I were so um, adamant that we thought that a Bitcoin futures ETF was going to get launched in 2021 was from a speech that he gave in, on August 3rd of 2021. And he basically outlined the plans. And all he said was, we look forward to applications holding the CME Bitcoin futures ETFs using the 1940 Act wrapper that has stronger protections. And like, that's all he said. And really, that's what ended up coming out. Now, the thing here is like, we didn't actually hear anything from the SEC. This didn't come from a Gensler speech. So it's a little bit weaker. But all these issuers were told, basically, everyone reapply. Now, could the SEC just be like, pretending or feigning interest in, in doing this yeah i guess that's theoretically possible but when they do this and they're basically opening the floodgates for all these issuers to apply for ETH futures etfs um it's typically a pretty good sign that they're going to do it and i've i've said this one last thing is just that like the, the reasoning for not allowing ETH futures etfs has always been very weak the one thing i thought they could always do is if the sec goes out and does some sort of lawsuit like they've done with ripple and plenty of other things and claim it to be a security or do something along those lines, then it would make sense why they can't, why they wouldn't allow an Ethereum futures ETF, right? And we all know Gensler won't say whether it's a security or a commodity, um, but uh, it, it, there has been no real legal or factual basis for allowing Bitcoin futures ETFs and not allowing Ethereum futures ETFs, as far as I'm concerned. So I think also part of it might be like, look, the SEC staring down the barrel in this grayscale case. They lo they lost half the battle in the Ripple case. Um, they also just lost the lawsuit to CBOE in the same DC Circuit Court that um, Grayscale is fighting them with. The two judges on the panel are also on the panel for Grayscale. So 
part of our thinking is that it looks like the SEC is fully pivoting here, at least on Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I think they're going to basically just it's not worth it to fight this. The, the cases or whatever they would have to go through is aren't as strong on Bitcoin and Ethereum. And I think they might be seeing that and pivoting and being like, we're going to focus on all the altcoins or shitcoins, if you will. Um, so that's my overall thesis in case. I don't know if Eric wants to add anything that I might have missed. Guys, just before you add, so uh, I just saw an article from Coindesk. Says the Curve Explorer responded to the bounty offer in blockchain message and has already returned some 8.9 million of the assets of the stolen assets to victims, um, which is quite ironic because we were just talking about Curve before and how the founder did all these OTC deals. Now that the OTC deals are done and he's raised 40-something 40, 40 million, um, the... the um, the, the hacker is starting to return the funds. How much? So he's returned how much out of how much? So the total hack was about $60 million. And in a message linked to Ethereum blockchain, the looter asked Alchemix, one of the victims of the heist, to confirm the protocol's address so that they could return the assets. Soon after, they transferred 4,820 Ethereum, some $8.9 million worth to Alchemy's, uh, Alchemix's multi-sig wallet. Interesting. And, and just to, before we go back to the ETF discussion, Scott, just one more thing I'll add. Like it, we found, I can't remember which, uh, what case it was, but even if uh, a hacker returns some of the funds, doesn't mean you're not going to be uh, facing any criminal. Yeah, mango, uh, mar- mango markets. Man- yeah, exactly. Once yeah. we commit the crime, there's no, there's no going back. Oh, let's uh, go back to that after we finish uh, here with, with Eric, because I would love to hear his perspective. Uh, yeah, no, James, um, who I, in, in this in this case, he's Batman. I think I, I'll be Robin when it comes to crypto. Uh, but um, listen, um, he nailed everything. I would uh, reiterate that the Ether futures ETFs. Uh, I'm actually a little more uh, optimistic than he is, simply because I'll be honest. We've heard directly from issuers who are in contact with the SEC that it's happening. So, also the Wall Street Journal reported this, and uh, the Wall Street Journal. Um, is a little more conservative when it comes to publishing stuff like this. So they must have got some really good information and they were basically saying that they're considering it. So again, not to say it's a hundred percent in the bag, but um, based on those sources, I'm a little more confident than 75%. We didn't, we didn't have as strong of sources back in 2021 with the Bitcoin futures. Uh, and we were 75%. We had uh, some back channel uh, in the ether case. This has been really good. Now the spot case which is their holy grail. Ether futures ETFs are not going to take in a ton of money. I would say maybe, you know, a couple hundred million. That's my guess. I uh, could be wrong. Um, and same with the spot, the futures uh, Bitcoin e- uh, ETFs. They've only have a billion or so. The real holy grail is the spot. And that's where we're 65%. And this is an interesting, um, I've always told people, I kind of feel like Jim Garrison in the movie JFK, where there's all this circumstantial evidence that Lee Harvey Oswald didn't act alone. And the whole movie is about him taking in uh, you know, back channel sources, trying to read the tea leaves. Um, and you can tell something is going on, but you're still not totally sure. There's no like um, hard evidence yet. Um, but we, again, what we're hearing is pretty good. And we also feel like, again, there's also a little bit of like the winds of change are definitely blowing. You can feel it. But the bigger, bigger issue and the reason we we really banked a lot of our uh, odds on BlackRock you know, BlackRock is the biggest asset manager in the world. Larry Fink is highly connected, um, not messing around. Um, and I, I think between that and the grayscale suit, especially if they lose, um, those those are strong things. Those are strong forces out there. And James mentioned some of the other ones, um, you know, in terms of us trying to read Gensler's language or uh, some language in the filings. You know, the language, all the legal stuff, in my opinion, is important, but Honestly, it just comes down to like the political aspect, probably, you know, is, is Gensler going to feel like this is a politically better decision versus not. And we think that the winds are going to blow enough where it'd be politically untenable for him, especially with the pressure from BlackRock, again, who is a big company connected to the government. Um, so, like I said, it might not happen. You know, we have 35 percent chance it won't, obviously. But that's where we're at with the spot. And to me, that's the main attraction. That's the headliner. I think the Ether Futures is like a an undercard, but you know, it's like a opening act you never heard of versus the headliner, which is the spot race. Uh, because that's, uh, people, people have shown that the, the advisor world, they just not going to use futures. Uh, they, they want, they want it in physically backed, whether that's gold or silver, uh, the spot will, it'll end up being like 95, 99% of the assets 
versus maybe one percent for the futures, you know, at the end of the day or five years from now. Yeah, I mean, the futures ETF hasn't doesn't hasn't performed as well. Doesn't perform as well as as the spot ETF. Um, questions: Do you really think Gary Gensler cares? It feels like he's got you know. Um, uh, uh, he's on to AI going. now. Now he's on to AI. Yeah, but, yeah, but I mean, do you, do you, you know, like that's the the head of the SEC is is a role that people complain about. I mean, I remember we used to complain about Jay Clayton in the same way that not in the same way, not as aggressively as because we complain about Gary Gensler. But you know, he knows he's got Elizabeth Warren behind him, and Elizabeth Warren's got a lot of power uh, on 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 the left side. Question is, do you think Gary Gensler really cares? Well, th- this is part of. The, the political aspect, you know, his bosses, right? If they're going to, um, you know, have be influenced by BlackRock in any way, that matters. If there's some of them defecting, that matters. Um, and that's, again, why that side of it is just as important as the legal an- analysis of like what an SSA is and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, I think uh, Gary and the SEC will they'll just write the language legally that it fits what they want to say. So if they want to approve it, they'll say, well, the SSA fits our thing. If they don't want to approve it, they'll move the goalpost again. So again, this is why I think the political aspect is, is almost more important to watch, but this is stuff we don't, we're not privy to these conversations. Um, So again, we sort of have to get some, some information where we can get it, uh, talk to people. Um, But that's, I think where, where you'd have him shift but again, the Ether futures is a policy shift. They have frequently rejected these up until this year. So the fact that they're going to shift on these tells you they can shift. And the fact they lost to the Spikes futures case tells you they can lose in court. Uh, again, the two of the three judges were on that case. So the SEC, in my opinion, uh, maybe they just feel a little weakened. Uh, you can uh, just, again, the Ether futures, I think, is proof that things can change. Um, so... Um, that's that's where the optimism comes from. But again, can, the, can, the pessimism Eric, comes from all the things he said in the past. Eric, I want to take a step back. Can you explain to the audience and to me, really, like why is the ETH futures ETF such an important thing, or is it important? What does it mean for ETH and altcoins? Could it, so I think Ran, you met, I think it was Ran that mentioned once that that could trigger a, a, an altcoin bull run. So is it, it, it could it impact altcoins the same way a Bitcoin spot ETF could impact uh, crypto and Bitcoin? I'll say one thing and pass it to James. Um, look. Again, we don't think Ether Futures ETFs will get that much in assets. If we're talking about a couple hundred million, and what is the total market cap of Ether, right? Isn't it like 300 billion or something? So it's a very, it would be a small sliver. Um, it would just impact it at the margins, in my opinion. Um, but again, the reason the Ether Futures ETF to me are, it's more important as a symbolic step that the SEC can change policy. It's just another step on the road to this sort of opening up to this. So uh, I'll let James comment on maybe the more um, nuts and bolts when it comes to altcoins and how this would affect it. Yeah, and, and while while you're doing that, James, I'm just going through the audience questions, and I'm not seeing going through their comments. By the way, guys, we go we go through comments through uh, throughout every space, um, but the, it just so that's another one here is asking. Let's get the update on the NFT market uh, if the ETH um, futures ETF gets approved, um, and I just think people are looking for something to kind of bring hope back into the industry, especially altcoins and NFTs. And what you're saying, James, is is that guys, don't get too excited. Sorry, it's you, Eric. Guys, don't get too excited. This is not going to lead to a massive bull run in, in altcoins and NFTs in the ecosystem, but it is symbolically a, a step in the right direction. Is that fair, Eric, before we go to James? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Again, um, the Bitcoin futures ETFs, and that's Bitcoin, only has a billion. So if you sort of maybe extrapolate Ether in the same you know, is a, what is it, a third of the market cap Bitcoin? I don't know. I'm just guessing. Um, it might have a third of that billion. So, you know, three, four hundred million dollars. Um, it's th- th- That just is probably what's likely going to happen. Again, because you have to understand that when you look at ETF owner, like who owns ETFs? Uh, 70 to 75 percent of ETF users are advisors. Advisors control 30 trillion dollars of like rich people's money, right? They don't like futures. They don't like derivatives. They feel like a, fu- a futures ETF is like contaminated spot they'll use. And so it's that's why the Ether futures, again, they're going to come with these derivatives, which are like repellent to advisors. So you won't get the big chunk of money to even consider it, really, in my opinion. James, I uh, would love your stance before we, we, we uh, kind of move on to the next topic is for people that are trying to look at this as, as like their, their 
the, the blue star for the next bull run um, and that the end is over, that's not it, yeah. correct? Yeah, no, I wouldn't say that either. I would agree with pretty much I, – I do agree with everything that, that Eric just said. Um, I mean, it, re- it, it the other thing I would point out is if you look at when Bitcoin futures ETFs launched, it was the end of October in 2021. Um, and if you know what happened within the months afterwards, that was definitely not starting a bull run. If anything, it ended it. Um, so obviously, we're in a different, very different area right now with ETH futures. But again, Eric said there's not, not going to be a ton of interest. These types of products, these futures products, they're good trading vehicles, right? If you want to trade exposure to ETH or trade exposure to Bitcoin, they make a lot of sense. But advisors and people who want to hold this for the long term or invest for the long term, they prefer the, the physically backed stuff. That's what the data shows uh, unequivocally. Um, so that that's basically how we're looking at it, why we're more interested in the Bitcoin spot race. But as Eric said, this is an SEC pivot. And I kind of hinted at this when I was talking earlier. Um, I, it, the SEC has always kind of put Bitcoin on a pedestal, right? The, it's the one thing it would say is not a security. It's one thing it would say is a, com- is a commodity. Um, and then they always talked about all these other altcoins and they refuse to really say anything truly about ETH. And to me, this if this if they actually approve these futures ETFs, it's signaling to me that maybe Gensler and the SEC are, are kind of basically pushing ETH and Bitcoin to one side and then everything else to the other side. Um, so th- that's basically the way I'm viewing this and watching to see if anything changes. Scott? I was going to say, great. I think, uh, yeah, I think we've talked to the uh, e- ETF through and I think that we're all generally optimistic and I don't think we can get any better takes than from anyone than from Eric and James. Well, so, guys, um, you said sixty-five percent chance that the ETH ETF, that the Bitcoin spot ETF, oh, this year. Oh, Bitcoin, yeah, Bitcoin. Sorry, I thought I heard ETH. Yeah, I think sixty-five was James. You said sixty-five. Eric, what was your number for the Bitcoin this year? No, spot. Yes, it's for this year. Spot Bitcoin. James and I are totally aligned at sixty-five. 65. We talk about this every day. The Ether futures. I'm just a little more aggressive, probably because the the two the two mm. people contacted me directly. Um, I just think, you know, they that basically saying, and in the Wall Street Journal. So um, I'd go a little higher. But no, we're just good. No, yeah, we have. I think Ram was excited about the Bitcoin ETF. I remember last time you guys no, were more, here. I'm more excited about. I'm more excited about the time periods. Like, I'm trying to understand. Yeah. You say this yeah. year, like they've got yeah, so, so much so, time. You've got so much time, and, and the SEC could really no incentive to rush this, right? So, like, why wouldn't they just wait until they were completely, completely out of time? They, they might. Uh, you know, like I said, as as we get into next year, our odds would go up. So, what, what, what's your what are your odds? Yeah, sixty five for this year, and let's let's end it with what are your odds for next year? I mean, we haven't really. We're, we're trying to keep it to this year just to keep one number out there. But uh, James can comment after me. But I would I would probably go up a little bit because we're going to have due dates coming next year. But then again, so what, would you go to, would it, would it, could it hit as high as 80 or is too high? By the end of 2024? Correct. Yeah. I, oh, I, wow. I, I, cool. I, I would probably go to 80. Nice. Uh, what, what, cool. what do you think, James? Yeah, I, I don't think that's out of the question. I mean, the, the key fact here is, right, there's, there's two things to watch, right? What happens in the grayscale decision? And after the grayscale decision comes out, at some point, we don't know, in the next month, at the worst case scenario, it could come out sometime in December, we're thinking. Um, but so the SEC will have a certain time period after that to respond, right? Say 45 days and they can issue an appeal and we can figure out from there. I personally think that after that happens, they're not just going to come up with a new decision for Grayscale and then not act on all these other applications. So I think once they decide what they're going to do, assuming they lose the case to Grayscale, they will Mm. probably apply it to all of them. That said, ARC and 21 shares, their application is due January 10th. And if that application doesn't get approved, I would find it hard to believe that the SEC would deny them on January 10th and then approve BlackRock no, and everyone sense. else makes in March. Sense. Cool. So Guess January 10th would be the last date. Yeah. It's good news to me, especially comparing to last time you guys were here. Scott, I know you want to move on to, to Coinbase. Mr. Melker. I'm here. My mic is just... Uh, uh, the, my buttons oh, sometimes stop working on this new X app for whatever reason. Yeah, so obviously Coinbase Base is sort of the big news, obviously, at the moment with the launch coming next week. We had all the insanity around the bald uh, pump and dump, I guess we'll call it, meme token before the base chain was even able to be bridged off of back to Ethereum. And I know we have a lot of guests here 
who want to talk about what's happening with Base and Coinbase. And of course, in the midst of all this, we had Coinbase earnings yesterday. Right after market, Coinbase was up 12%. Then it was down an hour later, unbelievably, another you know 13% from there and down on the day and then opened uh, just slightly up, I think and roughly even but a lot going on with coinbase right now i think that wall street expected them to wildly underperform and the very fact that they overperformed was big news for them and now we obviously have base launching next week i know we have quite a few guests here um that are probably much more well versed in what's happening with base than i am so kind of open the floor i know westy uh, Patrick, you guys are have been tracking this pretty closely. Maybe Patrick, do you want to tell us why any of this matters right now with Base launching next week? Yeah, sure. So for people who aren't familiar at all with what Base is, it's Coinbase's new layer two that's built on the OP stack, and basically that's an Ethereum scaling solution. So any app that you can deploy on Ethereum, you'll be able to deploy on Base, but it will be cheaper and faster. And uh, it's getting a lot of attention, I think, because the hope is that Coinbase can onboard some of their however many hundred million users into actually using on-chain applications using Base. And if you look at what happened with Binance Smart Chain, it was one of the top performing ecosystems of the last cycle, still is one of the largest ecosystems in crypto, and that's largely because it's backed by Binance. So there's a lot of anticipation that similar thing could happen with Base Chain, and and the uh, chain hasn't officially launched yet, but some people found a bridge that was intended for developers over the weekend. And just to give you a you know, sense of the hype around it, with that bridge, which was really just a smart contract, and there was no way to bridge back, over $40 million of uh, ETH was sent to the chain over the weekend. So a bunch of degenerates wanted to go pump and dump on a uh, chain that wasn't even live yet. Fun. Yeah, great. Exactly. And with no way to bridge off. With, right. with no way to bridge off. So, That's ridiculous. So, 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 so in the words in the words of uh, the Hex supporters, they sacrificed. <laughs> so just, Patrick, just two quick questions. First, why do we need another layer two? And second, why do you think Coinbase waited so long for this? Uh, well, I think in, I wouldn't say they waited that long because I think that that um, it's actually an opportune time to launch it because you, of course, had to have the tech stack they're building on the OP stack mature you have this year layer twos have gotten a lot of attention uh and as far as needing another one um i think it kind of remains to be seen what unique angle coinbase will bring to the space because we of course have arbitrum we have optimism we have polygon uh which are already offering their own layer twos um many people yeah go ahead i think i think one of the things people are not getting about coinbase is if you look at, at a blockchain you need you need users and you need technology now. From a from a technology base, they've used the optimism, the OP stack, which is you know pretty tested technology when it comes to an ETH layer two. Um, I think the part that's exciting about this is it's a tokenless layer two, so it doesn't rely on a token. And as a result, it is a, a layer two which which is maybe more compliant in terms of you know global compliance. It's okay. It's, it's a layer two. It works like a blockchain. Uh, it, it is a blockchain. But it doesn't have it doesn't have its own token. Number two, and, and maybe maybe as a result of that, you've got Coinbase saying that um, it will it, it basically brings its user base with the on ramps and, and off ramps that Coinbase has got. So you've almost got a, a layer two with on ramps and off ramps, which in this current guise is is um, more regulatory regulatory friendly um, because it doesn't have a token. So I think that that's the part that's, that's that the differentiation between like optimism, arbitrum, matic, or polygon is that you know base doesn't have a token. Um, they say that won't have a token. I believe that at some stage in the future, when tokens become much more acceptable by regulators, Coinbase will do it. And base has on ramps and off ramps for millions of retail consumers. And so now, if you build a DApp on base, all of a sudden you can pay. You can pay in cash for your transactions. You can pay in USD for your transactions. So it's very similar. It's easy for companies to understand how it works. And you've got on-ramps and off-ramps. So who do, who do you think will be the first early adopters of base? Excluding the fucking meme coins. I, I think what we're going to get is we're going to get a huge migration of people from current dApps. And you're already starting to see a whole lot of, of, of current dApps deploying their tokens on base because they, they're saying to themselves, great, you know, if, if I can attract the Coinbase on-ramp and off-ramp, Coinbase customer base, 
then th that's a that's a great USP that actually no one else has. And then, do you think the regulatory clarity that Coinbase has and the fact they don't have a token gives that peace of mind for, for anyone that uh, migrates to base as well? Look, I think so. I think so. And I think there's, there's still a couple of years of regulatory, regulatory unclarity. I mean, I know that Coinbase today filed a motion to dismiss the SEC's case. I read the whole motion. It's pretty compelling, but it, I don't think it's going to make the motion go away. I think it's just a tactic, to be honest. So I think this, this that token, is it a security, isn't it a security? It's going to take three years at least to sort out in the United States. Um, and I think until then, you know, if you want to get a head start and you can build on a blockchain that is backed by Coinbase pretty openly, has the on-ramps and off-ramps and user bases of Coinbase, I think that's a USP that will really, really, really get um, a, a traction. It makes it... I think it's one of the smartest things to happen to crypto. Why? Because it's it's going to bring in people that we ordin that ordinarily wouldn't have come into blockchain because they couldn't. You know, you think about a, a big U.S. corporation trying to launch a DAP uh, or or an application on 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 a blockchain, and they don't know how to deal with tokens on their balance sheet and paying in tokens and are they actually holding securities and are they dealing in securities? Yeah, this is a tokenless environment and you actually pay with money. So yeah, Patrick, I see your hand. So I'd love to hear your view here. Yeah, and Patrick, I want to add a question to it before you add your views. I want to ask a question like, is there any downsides to not having a token at this stage? Yeah, well, so I guess first to address the question, the downside of not having a token is that you don't attract the crypto native users who are hoping to get some sort of airdrop or who are looking for incentives. But that's also potentially a positive because it means that that they can get accurate user metrics and that they can build things that are actually contributing real real economic value and business on chain rather than wondering how many of their 100,000 users are going to leave as soon as they do an airdrop. Uh, but one thing I wanted to add was um, I think the trust, like Rand said, is a huge factor. And that's just why even within people who are crypto native and have a higher risk tolerance, I don't think normally if a chain launched, you'd see people sending $40 million in a few days without any way to bridge off. And that just shows that people assume Coinbase is well-trusted. They've been around for a while. They're a publicly traded U.S. company. You can be pretty sure that the chain's going to still be up and running. You'll be able to withdraw. Uh, and then the other thing I wanted to add was to give some color to just how many people are trying to launch things on there. Since Coinbase made their official announcement about the bridge, there's already been 15 different decentralized exchanges have launched on the chain. 15. That's crazy. How, how does that compare to other uh, uh, other other layer twos or any other chains that launched the amount of interest that we have now in the midst of a bear market. Patrick, before we go to Jay and other speakers. Yeah, I mean, it's still much smaller, for example, than Arbitrum and Optimism, but it's been less than a week. No, but for a long, yeah, but for, for a launch or <laughs> even pre-launch, the amount of interest, how does it compare to other hyped up uh, layers? Oh, it's, it's uh, significantly more. I mean, to give it in perspective yeah. with... Yeah, I'm looking at. I'm actually looking at the numbers here on um, on uh, on Artemis. And if you, I mean, you, I obviously can't show the chart, but if you look at the charts of transactions and wallets and stuff like that, it's 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 unbelievable, actually. Yeah. So, so, so to put it to put it in perspective, they have about half as many um, protocols as Polygon zk EVM after two days. Polygon zk EVM EVM has been around for a couple months. So let me let me get some other perspectives on this. Maybe there's a more bearish perspective. As we do this, I want everyone in the audience, go on your phone for a second. It's for your own good. And there's $8 million in prizes being given away by crypto, by, sorry, Bybit. Um, I've pinned a tweet above. Um, so if you want to join our, our little trading team uh, that's been acquired by Crypto Banter, if you want to join the trading team that we have and win up to $8 million in prizes, check out the the uh, the pinned tweet above, go into the link and uh, good luck winning some money. Um, I want to go back. Uh, where the, oh, Mario, you're downplaying how good it is. We're the biggest. English no, I'm keeping biggest... it. I'm keeping it casual. It's just like it, people flow into biggest it. I think I'm team, trying it out. Biggest team in the world. We're the biggest team in the world. If uh, statistically, if you've got the most players, you've, you've got the highest chances of winning. If we win, we give back the, the total winnings to the teams to the. So, means, hold on. Is it? Is it? If we win, do we just get eight million dollars and then we can give it away to the to the players? No, no, no. There is a way that I'm not sure exactly how it's split, but it's split in such a way that the winners get some, but the winning team gets some. 
and uh, what we what we get, we give back straight, straight back to the team. Yeah, we don't we don't get we don't get anything as us. Like we just give nothing, everything to the players. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Everything. And to we should just yeah. yeah, we gotta give it to the players. Yeah, uh, but I mean like the eight million dollars. If we win, as in as in we as in our team, if our team wins, do we get the eight million dollars for our team or split? There's like first prize, second prize, third prize. There, I think I think it's split against a couple of teams. But I think it's a uh, it's uh, uh, we get the whole thing. Ah, oh, okay, that sucks. Um, all right, let's go to Jay and Westy, guys. Uh, is there anyone, and then we'll go to Hitesh afterwards. But just want to get some more perspectives on base and how exciting it is, and and maybe you can you relate it to the to the let's let's relate it to the projects and investors in the audience as well. Like, what does that mean for projects? What does that mean for investors? And uh, uh, what can we expect? Yeah, just to, lots of great points already made. I think just to add, uh, following their earnings call yesterday, I think there's particular emphasis on new crypto use cases, and one thing that comes to mind. Uh, around base is payments. I think what L2s enable is cheaper, faster, more scalable transactions. And we have to keep in mind that Coinbase has a has a decent uh, stake in Circle and USDC. Uh, and I think with the latest decline, you know, post USDC DPEG, uh, there's definitely emphasis to bring that up, given that it's such a big portion of Coinbase's subscription and services revenue. Um, and I think one of the great use cases here is enabling payments and working with more traditional, you know, corporate entities uh, to integrate payments via the base L2 blockchain and incorporating USDC into that. Westy? Yeah, I would love to make some points here on the questions you asked earlier as well. So, yeah, one of the reasons why base is such a, a huge deal and why we quote unquote need another layer two is because of that tie to Coinbase where there's you know, they have millions of users already using their platform and all it takes is a simple front end for anyone to go from point to But how many, but how many, Wesley, but how many, how many users does BNB have, for example, or other layers? Like it, we talk about Coinbase having that many users, but like what percentage of those users do you think will, 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 will care about but the difference, on chain? Mario, the difference is that, that a BNB is not officially integrated into Binance and a, a, a Binance customer cannot seamlessly transfer money onto oh, the th chain. So the onboarding process from Coinbase to Base makes it really enticing. And what you're saying is that projects would find it enticing to move to Base is they'll get access to Coinbase's direct users. The way Coinbase view this is that they're going to, at some point, make no differentiation between the centralized exchange users and the Base users. So it's almost like if you think about the same set of users which can use IOR, that's kind of like how you have to think about it. And they're having the foresight to disrupt their own business before somebody else can come in and disrupt it, which I find very compelling. Exactly. And this doesn't yeah, but this also doesn't take away from how many users BNB chain has, which is also, number two yeah, to I, Ethereum. I would like to uh, point out the what kind of benefits uh, this. Uh, Sorry, Hitesh, Hitesh. I don't know, bro. bro Hitesh, can you hear us? Know. I don't know if yeah, you're if you're with the yeah. It seems you're with the dolphin right now, the one in your photo. I'm not. Your audio is really bad, bro. So maybe I'll give you maybe I'll give you 30, 60 seconds to fix it, and I'll give you the mic right after Westy. But if you can fix your audio, that would be great. Let's move away a bit from the from the dolphins. Uh, sorry, Westy, go ahead, then we'll go to to Hitesh. Yeah, absolutely. So because of these users, a lot of developers are planning to port their applications from Ethereum and Layer Two. So yeah. So am I am I audible now? Onto base as well. Yeah, Hitesh, uh, can you hear? Hold on, <laughs> this is funny. Hitesh, can you hear Westy speak? I, I uh, okay, sorry. Uh, oh, good. Now maybe I thought I'm not putting you on the spot. Sometimes there's a glitch where some one speaker can't hear other speakers, so it's not your fault. Uh, oh, good, Wesley. I'll let you finish off, and then we'll go to Hitesh. Go ahead, Wesley. Yeah, sorry. So yeah, a lot of applications are planning to port over, and as a result, a lot of users sort of want to front run that flow, and so that's why we saw a lot, lot of activity. I think it's also important to note that Rand brought up sort of regulatory capture with not having a token i do think you know that doesn't necessarily clear them they're still operating a centralized sequencer which could be seen as a money transmitter uh, as well as the fact that they decided to make their l2 permissionless allowing anyone to build any application and any user to use it so we may see some activity that you know is not very good uh, from an optic standpoint maybe we see so, you know, someone from North, a North Korean wallet start to use the chain, and that's obviously not a good look. So I don't know if necessarily uh, they're in the clear from a regulatory standpoint, but it definitely does help. Um, and then finally, I think it's important to note, like, how important this is or could be for Coinbase going forward. Let's, uh, let, 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 
Well, see, I just I just got word that Hitesh is actually bearish on base Westy. So what I want to do is I want to give the mic to Hitesh, just to know because I love I love different perspectives and it seems everyone we're becoming like a bit of a a, a pro base circle jerk, including me. Like I'm I'm just so bullish on it. So Hitesh, maybe you can try to convince us, and then we we still have Westy, Jay, and uh, and uh, Patrick here. Is that convince us? Why do you think base is not as exciting as where everyone's making it out to be? No, actually, I was, I was bullish on Coinbase. That was uh, I was bullish on base. I, I am not bearish on base. I was trying to point out the reasons why base could be a successful con- successful launch in the near future, because there are uh, many L2s out there. Uh, a lot of uh, super chains are also will be launched the same OP stake. So it's a very competitive market. So that is the that is why uh, I am thinking on a use case perspective here. So like uh, Coinbase has a couple of different advantages here. The one major advantage they have is uh, they are using uh, they are build, uh, focusing on coinbase payment so coinbase mm-hmm. payment is one of the major use cases which can be explored in the near future uh, we will take the recent example of genosis pay so genosis pay have recently launched a uh, your mic a bro Hitesh, Hitesh, your, your mic man it's not, it's not perfect i don't know why it's not, it's okay. not perfect man yeah, sorry bro i don't want to pop your bubble but uh, but the, now i know that hitesh is joining everyone's circle jerk of being bullish on base anyone here Speak up now. Anyone here is not as bullish on base and why they think base uh, is gonna is, it could potentially flop. Jay, are you that man? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can, I can definitely steal it. I'll go to, yeah, Willie, I'll, I'll go to quickly. Yeah, yeah Willie, I'm just gonna go to Jay and I'll go to you right after, sir. Yeah, uh, Jay, give us your shot. Tell us why, why? Steal, yeah, go ahead, bro. The other side, I think. Uh... One of the things as we've seen is even with the emphasis on L2 scaling solutions, I don't think we're quite there as far from uh, as far as you know transaction costs, transaction fees go. I think when we saw the Arbitrum airdrop go, uh, you know, gas fees on the L2 were still twenty, thirty dollars per transaction, which is it's a lot better than you know the peak ETH L1 gas fees, but it's not sustainable. Uh, as far as bringing the non-crypto native, the non-whales onto base L2. I think there are a lot of upgrades that do come around to address this issue, like EIP 4844, but those are definitely still a work in progress and uh, a ways away before we can really see the progress as far as uh, lower transaction fees. So I think that's that's one of the big sticking points, which is uh, the L2 narrative has been very hyped up, but I don't think the expectations meet reality right now as far as getting us to, you know, 100 million users or 10 million users simultaneously. That's also true of L1s, right, Jay? <laughs> oh, it definitely is. But I think you have chains like Solana where you have sub-cent transactions right now uh, that do sustain significantly higher TPS. Uh, there's obviously the argument around decentralization and the other properties that, uh, you know, ETH and some of the L2s come with, but effectively we're operating on a on a tr- trade-off where one of the axes is uh, price, expensive versus cheap, and the other axes is decentralization, security, and whatever else uh, comes with uh, Ethereum and, and older chain or chains that have been around for longer. William, I'd love to get your thoughts on this before uh, Scott gives us the finale. Yes. Thanks, Mario. Two, two things that haven't been talked about too much. One, watch for their cloud services. They have something called Wallet as a Service, AS. Uh, that's of the Coinbase base uh, launch. That allows uh, adapts to create very easily um, wallets in a hybrid uh, type of scenario. The second thing uh, somebody said, what apps are going to come, what's going to come to base? Look for apps that are really for the end user as a web to kind of apps to make it easier. You're One of them out. is called Blackbird. Uh, Blackbird. Blackbird.xyz. Uh, they've been talked about. They are a loyalty app for restaurants. So look for that. Well, well, well thanks, William. And um, yeah, I think this is uh, William's um, internet's cutting out. Hitesh has a mic with a dolphin. Uh, sees that, and everyone seems to love base. That's the conclusion that I got, Scott. What's your What's your thoughts on everything we heard? Yeah, I think that's basically the summary. Uh, Rand, go ahead. <laughs> I saw Rand lift his mic, but then he uh, disappeared. So you don't let him. And then David, David Silva will tell us why Binance is gonna get legally crushed. Why XRP's uh, um, uh, the, 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 the the what was was the XRP? Your David's your stance on XRP was pretty bearish, but he kind of flipped. 
Um, but then uh, the, the hex is dead. David, give us your update on uh, your update on uh, all the legal uh, action we're seeing from the SEC and from the DOJ recently. It would be a good pl- good way to wrap up the space on a somber note. Yeah, no, it, the <laughs> I kept waiting to say something intelligent, you know, and knowing something I'm talking about, and I just can say from I gave you I gave you an easy one, David. I gave you an easy one. Like, tell us, tell us what Binance is crushed, XRP is crushed, everyone's crushed, and hex is gone. Softball, massive softball. So, you know, I think that the interesting thing that's happening here is we haven't seen the DOJ come out yet with anything criminal still. So, and I keep saying this, whether it's days, weeks, or a couple of months, you know, these are all these issues are going to collide at some point. And I do think that there's going to be, you know, I think some of, I think the journalists, when uh, Eric was speaking before about like odds of approval, we're going to see a collision between old school crypto criminality charges and what's going on today. And it's going to be interesting to see what impact that has. So if we see, you know, the rumors uh, earlier this week about DOJ being concerned about there being a bank run on Binance if they announce criminal charges, one, if there's a one-to-one asset ratio, that shouldn't be a problem. And two, DOJ is not concerned if making criminal charges, if they have the ability to stick those charges. I mean, there's a reason why. But then why so, what, so, so, David, uh, this, this statement really confused me because I've, I've asked a few people, they said the DOJ doesn't usually say those things. And, and let me tell me if this is true, because like, what's the point? Why would they be concerned? An exchange should hold assets one to one. So either there's nefarious reasons they said that or potentially Binance does not have one-to-one backing of assets, Binance or other exchanges, and that's why they're concerned. The statement is very odd. It was incredibly odd, and it's really – and you got to remember, it's not like the it's the quotes are not coming direct. It was a very – it was whispers. It was, you know, the, that the DOJ is concerned about this. There's no way the DOJ is concerned about this. So it's if fake news? Have, no, so what's the source? News. What's the Hold on. What's, <laughs> this is easy, bro. What's the, what's the source of these whispers? Well, the source, the source started uh, by a, I'm not going to say an untrustworthy news site, but then it got picked up quoting the yeah, underlying source. Yeah, so, it's fake news. Yeah. So I don't believe, I don't believe it, but it got mainstream attention. But at the end of the day, it's, it's the modern world. Someone says something on Twitter, then the, tw- then the tweet itself uh, gets tell me about, Tell me about it. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. How just it becomes like this is like, you know the snowballing cartoon start like a little tiny ball and then says, Oh, okay, this is nothing. And then somehow someone just twists it a bit, another one twists it again, and it becomes this massive ball and that starts to spread it on social media. Is that what we saw? But then but then so the source do you know what that news sort news website is that had that initial statement? I wanna say it was like Sema or something who had the original quote and then Sema got picked up and then it's Semaphore, like, which is by the way well that Semaphore, which is by the way largely partly owned by SPF. <laughs> this is mental. Okay, so hold on. What did Semaphore mention the source of that quote or no? Or is that one of those anonymous sources that we cannot reveal their yeah. identity? Yeah, just like just like by the way we saw news uh, from the Financial Times earlier this week that Coinbase had been told by the SEC to delist other everything other than Bitcoin, and then a day later, both the SEC and Coinbase denied that. I saw. Oh, okay, so I saw that, and I was wondering. I don't know. I didn't bring it up like an idiot. I saw that. I'm like, why are we talking about this? Why isn't it on the agenda? Yeah, so that was we, that was dismissed as bullshit. Yeah, Brian like Brian Armstrong yeah. literally had to come back and walk back to the comment because it would have been if he was telling the truth, it would have been really bad. And like, you know, hold on, hold on. Like, so, so, what do you mean, Brian Armstrong walked back the comment? The comment wasn't made by Brian, was it? No, but Brian had to address it because it's snowballed oh, okay. out of control. And Brian's people and Coinbase had to come back, and everyone had to say, "No, that this is not what happens here." Because again, a whisper turned into a, a, a rumor, a rumor turned into a hill, and the hill turned into a mountain. And these guys have such strong arguments. Look, Coinbase filed their motion to dismiss today. It's as exciting as every defense lawyer wants it to be. Uh, it says everything that, you know, everyone on this space wants to hear. And all I keep saying all morning is, does anyone want to take a bet that it's not going to – it looks good, it sounds good, but it's not going to be a winning argument? You know, a lot of the things that happened this week, you know, I call it – with what happened with Ripple, we call it the Torres Doctrine now. And everybody wants to follow the Torres Doctrine in crypto but the rake-off analysis out of New York, it's not a doctrine yet because it was on a motion to dismiss. 
he took a big swing, you know, and did a big favor for the SEC in their fight against, you know, crypto and exchanges. I didn't think that the Ripple case was going to get an interlocutory appeal, meaning they were allowed to cut short and run quicker to the appeals court. But Rakoff did a big favor by questioning the Torres doctrine about whether it's going to stand or not. Rakoff is very, very respected across everywhere. And it's going to be it's good for the SEC to now go appeal that decision quicker, faster and have some, you know, conservative old people who continue to support the SEC like myself, who believe they're more likely to win. So this is like we, we've always, this is for the audience, we've been saying for years, we need regulatory clarity. We need regulators to be more clear and tell us what can and cannot be done. Well, guys, in a democracy like the US, this is what regulatory clarity looks like. Just a whole bunch of power struggles with a bit of a sprinkle of corruption and a lot of back and forth and money wasted. So um, we are getting regulatory clarity. If you don't like the process, well, <laughs> this is what we've asked for. It's not going to be as clear as like, ah, right, this is it. These are the rules and, and enjoy. Um, but uh, we're getting it. And I think um, once we get through it over the next couple of years, uh, the, the ecosystem will be very, very different. But to me, that all sounds very bullish. And we've got, we've got David and others that will be keep coming on stage and trying to explain to us everything is happening behind the scenes. Um, but I, I want to get Dave's final thoughts. And while waiting for Dave, uh, before giving the mic to Dave, I mean, anyone that wants to come on the show as a sponsor, um, you know, today, this week's sponsor is Bybit. We've got a couple of sponsors next week. Um, and we have a Shark Tank show that we're doing. We're pretty excited about it. Um, uh, if you want to come on and pitch your project, just DM me or DM Ran. Uh, I should probably pin the tweets where you can email us as well. So I'll do that as Dave speaks. But if you do want to come on the show um, with us, just hit us up via DMs. Um, or email us on the tweet that's going to be pinned above shortly. Also, hey, it's come up. I don't know who brought it up, but that ugly logo is up on stage, the Crypto Town Hall. So make sure you follow that ugly red logo on stage because that's where we're going to start hosting shows it's sometime in the next now. 10 years. It's a little um, less ugly now. I like this one. It's just very Okay, ugly. so the red circle on stage, make sure you follow that because sometime in the next 10, 20 years, it seems we're going to start hosting shows from that account. So make sure you follow that account. Dave, I want to get your final thoughts before we, we get the before we all wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, it, there's three topics working backwards. The reason that one might be concerned about Binance bank run has nothing to do with spot. Well, maybe it has something to do with spot, but it's much more likely derivatives. To put it in perspective, they have 10 billion in open interest reported uh, on their derivatives exchanges. And the whatever insurance fund one might have in case of a mass liquidation event, uh, there's risk there. Uh, you know, now by it's interesting because Binance has 10 billion in open interest and supposedly 25 billion in trading volume. Whereas you look at Bybit, your sponsor, they have 5 billion in open interest and 5 billion in trading volume. Well, five and a half and five and a half. So, which is, you know, makes me think that the volume on Bybit is more real, you know, to use put in quotes. But still, derivatives do have significant risk to the exchange in a mass market move. Uh, if there is a bank run, if people are forced to liquidate. So that, that's what the issue is there. If you work backwards to the Bitcoin ETF, the thing, the only point I'll make is, is that Gensler could credibly claim a win if he approves the, Bitcoin, the spot Bitcoin ETF now, because by his own admission, he has no other way to regulate Bitcoin spot. And at least this way, he, the SEC has a leg or as a skin in the game in terms of regulating if in fact the coinbase is required to file suspicious activity reports and the S with the sec which seems to be the case under their surveillance sharing agreement uh and if we go back to one more question to the other topic the topic of of the curve hack the point that i made and scott sort of made it but i think it's it's really clear i think you're going to see DeFi protocols start to embrace haircuts on collateral. Now that sounds very dry and bullshitty, but what it means is uh, rigorous programmatic liquidity qualification for taking collateral. So, you know, I, I actually did, you know, did the math, you know, when this all happened and effectively $10 million of curve had as much market impact as a hundred million, you know, after it because of the big bids out there, but it was a 57% drop just to clear 10 million in volume on the official order books on centralized exchanges. Whereas the same amount in ether was less than half a percent. So, you know, treating them, the collateral, the same is insane. Uh, and honestly, you're going to see DeFi protocols start to wise up to that. And so I think that's the healing that will happen. 
And that will be really, really positive because that's what's necessary, I think. That may be... And how, how, is the, how, how, is the, how will the healing process, just very briefly because we do want to end the show, but how will that healing process look like? Is it going to be uh, a lot of blood before we heal or is it just going to be a slow process oh, moving I, forward? Not necessarily. I think you're going to see innovations in DeFi protocols where they're going to use, whether it's liquidity oracles or data like such as we have it, you know, coin routes, I don't really care. But there is the ability to measure liquidity and if you do that and you not just have blanket 150% collateral, but, you know, 150% collateral or even 125%, but adjusted for available liquidity, you can make the protocol safe against even the kinds of situation that just happened. And I think that people will start to innovate and do that. Just stay tuned. Cool. All right. Well, Scott, Ran, any final words uh, before we go off into the, is today Friday? Yeah. Before we go off into the weekend. I think that's pretty much it. Unless you're going to cut me off, but I think Brand, no, uh, no, no, I'm not. I think that summarized the week. I won't, bro. I'll stop doing it. I'll stop doing it. This is a wild week, man. Just an absolutely wild week. Maybe it's a symptom of the fact that we had so much. Why is it wild? News. Why is it wild? I mean, What's the serious okay, news? We had uh, Richard Hart uh, sued by oh, the yes, SEC I forgot that. and all True. the nonsense about that. We had this curve thing. We had a uh, rug pull, pump and dump on a chain that shouldn't even be accessible. <laughs> that was crazy. linked to SBF and Alameda. So yeah, I would say that we had a bit of a week. How's hold on? How what's linked to? Oh, you're talking about that uh, coin? That was bald. We talked about bald. Yeah, 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 yeah. Of course, yeah, of course. That base. was on that base. Was on base. Yes. Yes. Welcome, welcome to the uh, show, Mario. What? Yeah, no, I don't. No, no, I don't. So I didn't know it was on base for two seconds. And do, I know there's been claims that there was SPF, and there's like a couple of threads. Did you look at the evidence? Did it look credible that it could really be Alameda or SPF? No, because I have all of my mental faculties together and don't waste my time on stupidity. So you don't think it's SBF? It's just a... no. I don't think it's SBF. The guy is like has a spotlight on him, and it doesn't have internet or phone access. But yeah, I like so how I pretty SPF. much every single bad thing's happening in crypto for the past year has just been behind SBF. Is like behind it. Everyone's oh, well, been blaming still, SBF. Like, I, 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 if we can find a way to blame it on him, I'm happy to do it because. Do you, do you too, think? But... Do you, oh yeah, we, didn't we have? Didn't we have also one of the charges dropped on SBF? Was that this week or last week? I think that I don't even. I think it was at the tail end of last week that the campaign finance charges were dropped, and of course that sent uh, everyone into a tailspin, saying that he'll get off, which I don't think he will. But that's, nah, no, no, you no. Know, There's seven, seven charges, seven charges left, seven charges left. But the markets have been relatively steady, pretty boring, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, it's boring, and so we made up a whole bunch of things to to get really emotional about on crypto Twitter, which was all those things I just named. And you know, every week you can't have Black BlackRock filing for an ETF, you know. Yeah. Ran? Yeah, I'm here, bro. I'm here. Um, I agree with everything that Scott said. Cool. <laughs> bro, there you go. Okay. Guys, okay. Enjoy, enjoy your weekend, everyone. Thanks for coming by, and uh, we'll see you again on Monday at 10 a.m., 10.15 a.m. EST. Bye, everyone.